Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I am joined by my co-host, Adam Hawkins, and we're also joined by special guest, Greg Wilson. Friends, today we are continuing our series on mental health, and we are going to have a conversation about trauma and its effect on our lives. And so we want to be sensitive to y'all's stories and let you know that this is going to be a harder conversation. So this might be triggering for some of the things that you've experienced, but our hope is to help and to provide good resources and wisdom, but just wanted to let you know what the conversation is going to be up front. Before we jump into today's topic, I want to introduce our special guest, Greg. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself with the people and your experience specifically when it comes to the topic of trauma? Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here with you guys. So I'm a counselor here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, licensed professional counselor. I have a practice uh, called Soul Care Associates in Flower Mound, Texas. And I also uh, am involved with my church in terms of care and um, have been involved kind of in the, the maybe bigger church-wide conversation related to domestic abuse and, and trauma. We'll get into that, uh, I'm sure, later. But uh, so, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm a counselor. Um, I've also been a pastor in the past, so uh, I've been uh, a part of the church uh, in very deep levels as well. Greg is being super humble because um, I've gotten to work with him from a distance sometimes and closer at other times, and he's a wonderful counselor who is very thoughtful, um, and uh, you will be really, really blessed to hear what he has to say on this topic. Yeah. Thanks. I agree. I've been on staff at The Village for about three years, and during my time, Greg, you have been super helpful and for us as staff, because again, helping us navigate this road. So I'm excited because we've gotten to hear some of your wisdom. And so now our people get to hear your wisdom too. Well, thanks. That's great. <laughs> so we're going to start our conversation today off with definitions because definitions matter. And so I want to, uh, Greg, can you open us up by just, what's the definition of trauma? Like how should we even think about that category? The word gets used a lot. Yeah. And uh, so how should we know what's an appropriate way to use that word and what is it referencing? Yeah, for sure. That It's a big word and it's a word that does uh, get used and referenced a lot, particularly now. And we'll get into that too mm-hmm. and why. There's obviously a lot of traumatic events going on. But basically trauma is um, when a person's suffering, an individual's suffering overwhelms their ability to cope with that suffering. Um, and so in a in a general way, that's that's what it is. And it, it's a one of the things that I think um, the church and, and people in general need to understand about trauma is it's a very individualized experience, right? So um, sometimes I draw, just let me use an example here of like a car accident, for, for example. So let's say that, let's say you were in a car accident with another individual, right? So you and this person, you were in a really bad car accident. You survived, praise the Lord. Um, but it was it was very severe, maybe even had to be hospitalized for a while or whatever. It's very, po- and of course, in the moment, there's all kinds of trauma going on, right? I mean, there's actually physical trauma, right? So the word actually comes from a Greek word that just is referencing wounds, right? And if you go to an ER, it's likely to be called a trauma center, right? So, I mean, so that's, the, the word comes from from that, and then we also apply that to psychological trauma as well. But you go like a year out from that car accident, okay? It's very possible 
that person A in the car um, is triggered in some way. They drive by the the scene of where that accident was, or they drive by another accident, or um, you know they're they're on the highway um, in the general area of that accident, or they you know they see something similar or whatever, and they're triggered. And their response is something, it's, it's what we call maybe a more normalized response to that at that point. It's like, man, that was awful. I remember that accident. Don't sure don't want that to ever happen again. But, you know, basically they're able to continue to be okay and live their daily lives, right? Person B that was in that same accident, right? They may just avoid that place on the highway. Like they may, they may go to great lengths to never drive by that. Um, they may have panic attacks at the thought of, you know, a, a car accident or at the thought of that one in specific or whatever. They may go by the hospital that they were taken to and, and get panicky or anxious or whatever. That's trauma, right? And and the thing is, both people were in the same accident, right? And you could even you could even go a little further and talk about the medical personnel that showed up, right? So these people see those kinds of things all the time, right? And so that particular trauma for them was... Uh, uh, something that just built resilience, most likely. Although, you know, first responders also have legitimate trauma sometimes where they, you know, actually have to uh, have therapy for that trauma as well. So it's complex. There's a lot to it. It's multi-layered, multi-dimensional, and it affects everybody differently. So one of the things you cannot do um, in caring for someone who's been traumatized is compare. You know, why is this person not over that yet? Uh, I, I went through worse thing than that, or, you know, or, or I know someone else who did and they they seem to be fine. Right. The other person in the car seems to be fine. What, what's wrong with this person? Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very individualized experience. There actually have even been studies on twins, probably giving you guys way more no, information. It's not helpful. There yeah, actually have been studies on twins where that, and so imagine that the two people in the car accident were twins, identical twins, where, where one person has one reaction to a, the same trauma and another person has a completely different one. So um, it's that's it's, fascinating because that means yeah. probably that, because um, I was going to ask, what's the difference between the two? Right. And I'm sure there's been studies on this, but it's interesting to me to think okay, are some people predisposed? Because this is a question going back a long time. When you see, you know, so you you reference at first the word trauma was used to describe physical trauma, right. and then as it made as it drifted into the psychological realm, it typically was only used to speak about um, types of situations that were beyond the pale, extreme, extreme abuse or war, right? War. And yeah. so in war, you heard about it all the time. And why is it that one guy who goes to war? has PTSD, uh, and why is it that one guy doesn't? Or, you know, and, and it sounds like the twin study would say, because the way you want to go is, well, maybe there's environmental factors, maybe there's predispositions, but the twin study seems to throw that into question a little bit, right? Yeah, it absolutely does. And that that actually is a really good example, because you're right. The first time that trauma is actually talked about in the psychological realm um, it is with respect to war. Mm-hmm. And that actually goes back really far. So if you read um, the Iliad mm-hmm. um, by Homer, yes. so he's talking about war there, mm-hmm. right? And he's giving examples. He's actually describing trauma. Mm. Um, and so, um, and then obviously like it, in terms of the, the 
public vernacular, it really came in World War One, World War Two. It was called shell shock. Right. Then after the Vietnam War, it became called PTSD. We actually named it. We put it in the DSM five or the DSM, which is now the DSM five, um, as PTSD, which is actually a clinical diagnosis. Okay. Um, but but yeah, it started with war. But to get back to to backtrack a little bit to what we were talking about in terms of two people, yeah, you could have two people in the same company, in the same division, mm. in the same war or battle, and they had very different experiences. Mm. My dad was in World War II. This is interesting. So my dad was a World War II veteran, and um, he used to say that everybody that he served with either came back completely changed. Um, um, but you know, okay, or just a mess, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So one of the two, either like just, just changed by the experience in a positive way, which we can talk about that too, because that gets to kind of like, what's the goal of treatment and healing and all that. Um, but, or, or just completely, uh, a a mess and, you know, all the stereotypes that you might think about drug addicted and, Mm -hmm. you know, never really able to figure it out after that and that kind of thing. What, what, um, this is, this is a helpful conversation. So, you know, as we talk about this, tell me if I'm wrong. So totally lay person perspective, is it right to maybe talk about trauma as a continuum? Meaning like, are there less severe and then you know Mm -hmm. it can get more severe what is ptsd versus trauma is that a synonym is ptsd simply the clinical diagnosis so Mm because those are i I think why these definitions are important is because of how ubiquitous they become in the culture i you know probably 10 15 years ago ptsd was probably only talked about in terms of war i mean you didn't hear it a ton right but i almost every article you read today talks about ptsd trauma is everything from well, you know, think about on-campus speech and things like right. Like there's, yeah. it's become politicized yeah. the idea of trauma. It's like, well, I'm traumatized if somebody shares an opinion. I don't, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, this is kind of. I don't want to slant us into that category. But what right. I'm saying is, because these words are used everywhere um, today, I think it's important to dial in. So, what would you say? What is PTSD? What is is mm-hmm. trauma a continuum? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, PTSD is the only formal uh, clinical diagnosis gotcha. in the DSM. Uh, for trauma. So it's the only formal diagnosis that we have right now. And you're right, we end up using that. I mean, I certainly have used it just colloquially, you know, this thing happened, I have some PTSD from that, right? I certainly don't mean that clinically, right? Sure, Um, sure. And so you're right. I mean, we do that uh, in our culture. So um, post-traumatic stress disorder, as I said, really came into um, uh, being as a clinical diagnosis with seeing just the the effects of, of people coming back from the Vietnam War. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of that, a need to say, okay, this is anxiety. So PTSD is located on the anxiety spectrum. Okay. Right? And, and it is good to go back to your original question to see it, you know, on a spectrum, right? Uh, to see it, um, you know, on a scale, if you will. Uh, because certainly there are varieties of it. And I would even say every single person's experience of it is different. Right. And so, you know, you've got, you've got the person who, um, you know, especially maybe the war veteran whose wife can't really like wake him up too harshly, right. Or he's going to like, you know, wake up in a (laughs) a posture to like, you know, kill somebody or whatever, you know, um, all the way down to, it's just like, that's just the thing that we don't talk about again, even going back to my dad, like, like we just didn't, 
I got the few little kernels about the war that I got from him mm-hmm. in, in very, you know, very small doses because he really just didn't even like talking about it. Right. You know? Right. Um, and so, but he didn't, he was, it wasn't like what I was just describing. Right. Either, right. And he did, definitely didn't have a clinical diagnosis. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's what PTSD is, is exists on the anxiety spectrum. And typically now in our vernacular, it refers to, someone who has been experienced, who has experienced a single uh, event, i.e. war, right? That's just very severe, right? right. So um, that's usually what we see with with um, with PTSD. Now, we, there's another term that is used by clinicians, and I don't know if the DSM will adopt it or not, but there's another term that's used by clinicians when we're talking about things like abuse that you mentioned, right. childhood mm-hmm. abuse or domestic abuse, and that's complex trauma, so CTSD. Um, and and the reason for the distinction is because it's a different kind of trauma, and I think people have a hard time understanding it as the same thing as like as war, right? Mm-hmm. If you're talking about a child who is abused by a parent, for example, or if you're talking about a spouse who is abused by a husband or those kinds of things. Um, in those situations, sometimes it's a much it's a much lower level thing that happened. Not always, obviously. Sometimes sure. it can be something extremely severe. Um, so, you know, if you're talking about sexual assault or something like that, all it takes is like one time for it to be extremely traumatic. But it might be this emotional, verbal thing or right. whatever that just goes on for a really, really long time. Um, and so typically to meet the clinical diagnosis of PTSD, it has to be something that is deemed life-threatening, right? But then the, but then there again, it's like, you know, what is and what isn't, right? right? I mean, if you live in an abusive relationship, right. uh, do you have reason to be fearful for your life, even though nothing physical has ever happened? You know, some people would say, yes, they do. And some people would say, maybe no. And so uh, that's where it gets, it right. gets a little tricky actually diagnosing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine from a clinical perspective, how to care well. So I think, you know, keeping that in mind as we're talking about this, uh, just for us yeah. who are not caring from a clinical perspective, there's a complexity here that we have Definitely. to be careful of. But mo- moving right. moving yeah. us forward, because we are Christians, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you mentioned right. the Iliad, right? I mean, so there, these, there is, you know, within history, these aren't necessarily new uh, ideas. Um, we have a book that is ancient yeah, and full even of wisdom, older than Homer, e- right? even <laughs> older than Homer. Um, does the Bible offer any sort of framework for trauma? Are there examples in it? Is it ever addressed directly, or is this one of those where we can kind of see examples? We have to glean a little bit more. Yeah, I think it does offer. Um, it clearly offers plenty of examples, and obviously there are a lot of traumatic events described in the Bible, right? Um, and so, I mean, so yeah, you could go to. Uh, for example, uh, immediately think of Job, right? So yeah. I, th- I think of Job's situation where, you know, when when he loses his children and his property, it's it's really hard, obviously, and there's clearly a grief process going on there. But I don't know if I would describe it as trauma. Mm. Where you really see the trauma is when it affects him personally, right? Um, both in you know in terms of disease, but also in terms of like just not like he had a schema of how relationship with God works. And then this thing is like completely outside that schema, right? Mm. And all his friends do once they once they stop being wise helpers, which, you know, at first they actually do the right thing. You know, for a long period of time, they just sit in silence with him, right? But then 
once they start to process, which processing is good, dialogue is good. I love the fact that Job is written basically as a series of dialogues um, because because it really does give us a picture of how trauma can be processed both badly <laughs> and well, right? Um, but ultimately, you know, one of the things that you see is that what he really has to make sense of, he has these kind of existential kinds of questions that get brought up in that situation about where is God? The, the God that I thought I knew is not acting like I thought he would mm. in this situation, right? Um, and it's kind of blowing his mind, right? And that's the that's the thing where when you are looking for an experience that that really looks like trauma, right? That's a good example to look at, right? Is to look at his experience there and go, this is beyond grief. Obviously, as a as a dad, um, he was very grieved at the loss yeah. of his children for sure, and that was devastating. Um, but someone can have a very severe loss, and we would still put that in the category of loss and grief, and not necessarily trauma, right? Uh, and those are those are different, but then you have it affect him personally again, both on a uh, biological level, but also on a psychosocial, spiritual kind of level, right? And then that's where it really hits him. Mm. That that level of brokenness is, um, you know, completely different. You can see in terms of his response. You could take just to give a female example. You could mm-hmm. think about Ruth. So her experience. So again, you know, I would say um, in in that case, uh, the loss of her husband, the loss of her son. I, I mean, there there is a a definitely a kind of traumatic experience there. And then Boaz, though, is able to come in and be this redeemer for mm. her, you know? Um, and so you see this beautiful picture of redemption uh, there. So, yeah, I mean, those are just some examples. There's, there's plenty. You could literally look at all of the situations of war and rape and all the other things that you right. know, are, are in the Bible and go, yeah. okay, yeah, there's definitely trauma here. And then really what I think is probably the best thing to do biblically is to look at how these people responded mm. to it. Mm. Through this uh, series, what has been helpful um, to, is to encourage people to be self-aware. Yeah, for you sure. Know, a lot of times, whether it's through our coping mechanisms or just the busyness of life, that we may not realize what we ourselves have gone through or and I'm just going to hold it together and it's going to be okay. And the, the freedom we have in Christ to be able to say, I need help right. because I'm not doing well. Right. And so when you think about um, situations of trauma, and if you could just, uh, I think for the folks who who love writing notes and, and want to write down that definition that you gave one more time, if you could just repeat that for our yep. folks. Um, but just what does it look like in someone's daily life when they might be experiencing trauma, both for that person, but also for those of us who seek to care for people in community. And we see our friends We're like, Hey, I may need to kind of lean in, in a loving way, which you're going to show us how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like for trauma to show up yeah. in someone's so, daily life? So the definition, the, the broader definition that's used by most people working in the field is when the suffering, the particular suffering that someone has been through overwhelms their ability to cope. Um, so, and, and then it's the, it's the damage that is done. This is another just simple, basic way to look at it. It's the damage that's done by brokenness in our world, right? Whether it's relational brokenness or whatever. Um, and, and when that, so there's always damage, but when, again, when that damage that's done overwhelms the person's ability to cope, basically what they end up doing this would be good to add on to what I said earlier. What they what they end up doing is they end up 
being triggered and reliving that trauma, like in the car accident situation. Right. They they don't it, they can't uh, live a, a normal life like the the way that they lived before that event happened. They are constantly being reminded of it. They are constantly living in the weight of it and actually even feeling the weight of it. Right. And so, um, so that's, what's going on with trauma. That's really helpful. Yeah. Let me ask this. These could be triggering, but it was, it's helpful for me. So, um, maybe it would be something like, uh, in your car accident example, like, um, every time you get in the car, you have an intrusive thought of maybe, a violent scene like the car accident, right? right? Which may trigger a panic attack or may bring you to the feeling of extreme fear. That would be something like trauma. May, Absolutely. Right. Like what, what are the, like those kind of maybe specific details. Um, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, flashback, we don't really use that term as much anymore, but, but flashbacks, those, nightmares, right. uh, intrusions, like you talked about right. intrusive thoughts. Um, yeah. Those kinds of things. Uh, it, it just intense, anxiety to the point of panic right so you know so a person actually might have a panic attack getting behind the wheel and the thing is it's very it can be unpredictable right too. so they might still be driving and going about their daily lives and then one day they get behind the wheel and for whatever reason they think about that accident they're like i can't go out today you're gonna have to drive you know um or you know whatever the thing is and so yeah so it, it, that's the unpredictable nature of it is sometimes what really causes people distress in their daily lives, right? Is because it's it's like I know and and also the thought, I know I should probably be over it right now. So you know we talked about how helpers need to be careful of that. But it also affects the person who actually has undergone the trauma. They tell themselves you know, my brother who was in that same accident with me, that they seem to be fine. They're not having these feelings. Why am I having these feelings? They beat themselves up. They're like I should be over this by now. And that as we know with anxiety that only makes it worse. Right. right? The and shame so, right. the shame attendant yeah. in your head. It becomes yeah. a spiral because I yeah. should be better. So I'm anxious about the fact that I'm anxious. Right. Yeah. And and so it just it, it just continues to spiral that way. You know, the reason we're having this conversation is because we've seen a mental health crisis related to mm -hmm. the pandemic that's going on. And now, uh, as we talk about this, it looks like there's a second wave um, of at least right. a variant. We don't know what that's going to produce, but it's it's not over, I think is the way to right. say it. And um, as much as I so want it to be for yeah. all the Amen. all the probably personal reasons, but the bigger reasons yeah. too, right? right. Um, so uh, this idea of collective trauma, mm -hmm. I yeah. think of something like I was I was in college during 9-11. There was something that happened then yes. that changed everything. There's oh, a yeah. there's a way of thinking about sometimes when I think about trauma, personal or collective, it's I can define a moment as there was before that moment and there's after that moment. I yes. remember my very first panic attack and getting kicked off an airplane. It was like in some ways for years and years, the way I would describe that experience was I had a life before that and I have a life after That's that. That's right. And mm. the life after that I feels a hundred percent different. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's it kind of right. goes even to the war thing. That's even right. in the positive sense, it's like I had a life before war. Maybe I'm not, but my everything's different now. Right. right. So in this idea of collective, maybe that's that's a way to think about it. Is COVID like that for us, do you think? I know I'm asking you to speculate, but Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I I absolutely think it is. Um and you know, historically this has happened. And I mean, we can look back at uh, just even in the, the last hundred years or so. I mean, there was the 
1918 Spanish flu, right? Which, you know, people who went through that were different than there's like the depression, right? right. The war years, you know, again, even the people who didn't go to war, like right. the relatives and the friends of the people who uh, went to war, uh, still, you know, like like that whole generation was changed mm. by World War One and World War Two, right? Mm. Um, and so there's a generation that was changed by the the '60s in general, right? right? <laughs> right. Not just the Vietnam War, right. but even just the you know. And so now I think we're going through a similar uh, time, really. You know, where every this has affected every single person's mm-hmm. life on the planet, right? right? <laughs> you know, and so sure, and it, it is a collective trauma. People working from home, then you've got. You know the the dynamics of the family, right? Where a lot of time, a lot of families, um, mama and the kids, or daddy and the kids, yeah. whatever the case may be, are like super thankful that the spouse goes off to work every day or or goes on the road because honestly, that spouse is difficult to live with, um, and um, and so they're glad when they're gone. And so now, for over a year, daddy hasn't been on the road, mm-hmm. right? Um, he hasn't even been going to the office. You know, he's been going down the hall <laughs> to the office at the house, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, for sure. And then extroverts who, like, thrive on, like, being around people, you know, have just had to be isolated for all this length of time. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. a collective trauma for sure. Yeah. When I think about what happened with COVID and just the dynamics of trauma that have come with that, there have been so many other things that have happened this year that are connected to that. You know, I think about the things that have happened racially in our country. Um, I was watching the documentary series 30 for 30, and there was t- I was talking about the WNBA and how the WNBA had isolated themselves to be able to continue playing their season. But they they talked about how their story intersected with what was happening in the culture at their current point in time. And there was a lot of stuff with police brutality. And so one of the women was talking about an instance where she got a notification on her phone. And there might have been some incident at their house where they needed the police to come. Um, but she, her husband was at home and she wasn't. And so she calls her husband because she's like, she knows that her husband is six foot three and he's black. And so there are this tendency, she has this fear that he might be misconstrued as not supposed to be there because they live in a really nice neighborhood. Knowing all the things that have happened this past year, she's having this panic and massive anxiety um, because she doesn't want something to happen to her husband, even though the police officer is probably there for a really good reason. And so I just think about the dynamics of what has happened with COVID, plus what has happened racially um, in our country and how people are dealing with those dynamics. Yeah, Elizabeth, thanks for mentioning mm-hmm. that because I was I was focusing on COVID, mm-hmm. which is enough, right? But then if you add in the political climate right. over the last year, if yeah. you add in uh, the racial strife yeah. and back Lives Matter and all that stuff. Like, I mean, it, you know, again, it's touched on so many levels, right? And if you talk about the racial divide, um, then, I mean, you clearly see how, you know, people who have walked through the 60s, right? So I mentioned the 60s, right? People who have walked through the Civil Rights Act and all that stuff, right? And now are like, man, we are still back here, yeah. right? And yeah. so, yeah, so it is that, like, the past is intruding into the mm-hmm. present. And so, yeah, uh, for sure, uh, it's on so many levels. This year has just been traumatic for a lot of people. And I think we will end up, as a people, we're going to come out on the other side mm-hmm. of this. We're all going to be very different. I don't know how we're going to be different. Yeah. That's the thing. But we're going to be very different people. We are, we're not going to be the same because of the year that we've all collectively experienced. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it looks like as Christians 
to address trauma? In other words, is there a way we can set ourselves up, one, ourselves up to be different uh, and better rather than different and and worse, <laughs> maybe right. is a way to say it. Um, and is there a way to um, prepare ourselves to help others who are experiencing trauma? As Christians, how do we think about what to do with our own trauma? Um, you know, when I look at all the topics we've been discussing, some of them, all of them could be related to uh, trauma. In, in other words, anxiety is produced, depression can be produced. Some of them are coping mechanisms, whether that's an eating disorder, whether that's substance abuse, which are two things we've covered. So do, how do we cope? Do we overcome? Do we battle it? Do we ignore it? Is it a fight? Is it a, we need to learn to be Zen and float yeah. down the river of this stuff? <laughs> like what's a, what, what, how do we start to address our trauma? That's great. Um, important question. So I'm a fan of Makoto Fujimura, um, Culture Care, Me Art, too. And Care uh, Art and Faith. Um, and in his book, Art and Faith, he talks about um, what he calls Kintsugi theology. And um, basically, Kintsugi is this Japanese art form in which something that is broken, like um, something ceramic, like a tea set or something like that, that's been just shattered, um, gets put back together, but it gets put back together using gold filigree in, in the cracks. And so it gets put back together in a way in which it is clearly different, right? So we're not hiding those cracks. We're actually highlighting them, in fact, with gold. But it's also more beautiful and more precious than it was before, the thing that was broken, yeah. right? And, and I think that's a better way of, if we're looking at like, what is the goal of care? What do you want to, when you come out the other side of care, how do you want to come out? And I think generally speaking, a lot of times people will use the language of, I just want things to be the way that they were before right? So we were talking about COVID. We were talking about this past year, and people are like, I want things to go back to the way that they were before. And I think it's important as the church, as believers, to lovingly help people see it's not going to be the way it was before. Right. Um, so the, the choice is, the, the choice that we have is, is it going to be worse or is it going to be better, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, but it's it's going to be different is, is how it's going to be. It's not going to be the same. So then what we want is we want to come out like in the Kintsugi, um, you know, art form, right? We want to come out better, um, more precious, more beautiful than before. And I, I think that there is a way to do that. That's what that's when we talk about addressing it, we talk about healing it. So it is a kind of overcoming, right? Right. Um, it's we can't really we, we can alleviate it to a certain extent, but that's not a permanent fix. Right. right? Um, you know, battling it, you know, I don't know if I really see that as that great of an option. You certainly cannot ignore it, right? Right. So what we're looking for is we're looking for some kind of overcoming. And I don't even know if overcoming is really the best word, but it's it's the closest. If you're, if you're going to try to distill it to one word, I think it's the closest word that I can think of. Um, and so, and that looks, but, but the reason I use that uh, Fujimura um, illustration is because I think that puts a good picture to it. Right. right? When we think about overcoming um, and really trying to make something more beautiful out of our pain, mm -hmm. sometimes we need help. Yeah. 
So where does therapy or even modern psychology or medicine come into this? When does someone need to realize, I'm not going to get anywhere just trying to deal with this on my own. I need somebody to help me walk through this. Elizabeth, that's a great question. And I mean, I would say if it is legitimately trauma, I would say we always need help. Um, You know, I mean, there is always going to be a need for some kind of, uh, if it is legitimately trauma, right? If it's not just like loss or grief that, and and the way you know that, by the way, let me just, this kind of backs us up a little Mm -hmm. bit, but the way you know that is if the past is constantly intruding into the present, right? If I cannot live my present life without reference to this past event, whatever it was, that continues to just, it's its living, it's not past for me. The past actually is present for me, right? Like when you're in that space, then you need some therapy. And there's some good things. So EMDR is an is a approach that I practice. It stands, it's kind of weird. It stands for, or the term is weird, not the therapy, but the, the term stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It was developed in the wake of Vietnam War veterans that wow. we were talking about. So it's been going, it's been happening for a while. It's only recently become a bit more popularized. But um, um, basically, the eye movement part just has to do with um, bilateral stimulation. And now, the reason I said the terminology is kind of weird is because now, actually, there are a number of ways that uh, therapists uh, stimulate both the right and left sides of the brain, right? So that's what they're, when we talk about bilateral stimulation. But basically, what's happening in trauma, the reason that's important is because there is something neurological, neurochemical going on with trauma where uh, the prefrontal cortex that, that helps us think and be logical and tell ourselves that accident was three years ago, right? Like um, that is being overwhelmed by another part of the brain called the amygdala, which is the seat of um, emotions, right? And so basically, and we tend to think in terms of you can, I mean, you can think amygdala prefrontal cortex, or you can think right, left, because again, we use that terminology a little bit more colloquially. Um, you know, there's the the left hemisphere of your brain is the side that where more of the logical stuff happens. The right hemisphere is where um, the more emotional stuff happens. But basically in trauma, what's happening is that the emotional parts of your brain are overwhelming the logical parts of your brain. That's why when, as as a Christian, if you were just to go to that person and say, you know, the Bible says, don't be anxious, be anxious for nothing, right? right? You know, why can't you do that, right? And then the person who is anxious or is traumatized or whatever is like, I'm already there, right? So now what do I do, right? right? I know that, I know it's yeah. not good, but my I'm already there and I can't seem to get out of it. You know, what do I do in this situation? Um, and so that's where something like, basically, the therapeutic approaches that work, uh, whether it's uh, so there's some, some somatic therapies that just have to do with uh, the, the kind of the body mind connection and those kinds of things. But whatever therapy is used has to be something that overrides um, this uh, emotional side of the brain and brings the the emotional and the logical sides together, more of a whole brain kind of approach, if you will, uh, just to really dumb it down. I mean, obviously, we could spend a whole lot yeah. more time talking about that. But that's basically what uh, what most of the approaches to trauma therapy do. There, it, there are cognitive behavioral approaches that, that are more kind of left brain oriented approaches. But even those, typically, you've still got to calm down that emotional amygdala that's just going crazy before you can really uh, do any of those things well. 
I think one thing that's really important to talk about is as we talk about suffering, we remember that God is not... Uh, he, The Bible, God provides the most robust accounting of, of man and human suffering. And so right. I think some people might say, well... Greg, you're not you're not saying you know open the Bible to such and such passage to That's be right. healed, and right. I think again, what's really important is to know that at times there are places where God is is going to say you need rest. There are places where God's going to say you need That's a right. good meal. There are yes. places where God's going to say you need to reflect and remember. Right. So, and there's and spiritual lament. and lament yeah. and spiritual right. places and a million other things. So my my point in just offering that is to say what a common grace. Yeah. What a grace of God to uh, that neuroscience is and neurochemistry is, and you are not, because I think so many people who struggle with anxiety and trauma, there is that shame thing that happens. And to introduce the idea that, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong by engaging in a therapy that's not, you know, just opening a Bible necessarily. Yeah. Um, and and opening your Bible is really good. I'm not denigrating that. My point, my, right. my, the point I'm trying to say is don't bring shame to the table with that. Go and get help. Um, uh, and it's good to get help, you know? It's good to recognize your weakness and to know we need help. And I and I actually think, just to flesh out a little bit, I think Greg was probably talking more to the idea of when you absolutely need help. There is never a thing that you go through where God says, I want, you know, demands that you go through it all alone. In yeah. fact, he demands the opposite. Right. Yes, there's going to be individual work you do. There's going to be communal work. And then I think there's going to be corporate work. And corporate yeah. is more like, you know, with saints and things like that. Yes. Community, communal is more with your community. Individual is the individual work. And at times that's going to stray. I And I think Greg would agree. At times that will be... Um, psychotherapy. At yeah. times that might be medication, um, but understanding that all all of these are all, are going to be playing together, right? Um, yeah. th- these ideas of of community and, and those you love and the prayer and the disciplines and also some extra help sometimes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And you also mentioned medication. Let me just address that really quickly. So obviously depression and anxiety, the right. more, the more common things that you would see from a mental health perspective also accompany trauma, right? And so absolutely, I would recommend if a person, um, that a person who is uh, experiencing high degrees of trauma, um, go see a psychiatrist. Um, Likely, you're going to be put on an anxiety medication because, again, um, trauma exists on the anxiety spectrum. Depression and anxiety are also very closely related, and so it's possible that the psychiatrist might put someone on an antidepressant as well. And there are even medications. So, I mean, by God's common grace, there are so many different medications that are out there, and there are medications that work on anxiety, and there are medications that work on depression. There are anxiety. There are medications that work on both. Um, and so, um, so go to someone who really understands psychoactive meds well. I mean, you can go to your general practitioner if you want. My recommendation, especially if we're talking about pretty severe trauma, right. is that you actually go to a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner or someone like that who really understands and specializes in the psychiatric meds. For Christian, to that point, for the Christian struggling with pr- trauma, perhaps PTSD, CTSD, I know that's a little bit different, we haven't been talking about that quite as much, but we talked a minute ago about the goal or the hope, and you talked about the Kintsugi theology, the putting the vase back together, not hiding the cracks, but accentuating them in a way that is beautiful. Um, I think sometimes 
and and I could be wrong, but I think um, what this is a slow work, right? Yeah. And I think part of the practical hope is one day that you are able yeah. to confront your triggers. There's a lot of work that gets done before mm-hmm. that, obviously. But my 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 point in saying that is to say, I think practically speaking, we we talked about the person who um, can't drive their car That's because right. of a car accident. The hope is one day they can drive they can. their car, right? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The hope is that at some point through healing, that when they're triggered, that they can have the same reaction as I think we called him person A in the car, right? Sure. Who still like it's not that they forget what happened, right? right? They still know that it happened, that it was awful. Um, it may bring tears. It may bring, you know, a sense of of grief or or uh, sadness that that happened. And in fact, I'm sure that it will probably for the rest of their life because it was a sad, difficult thing that happened. But it doesn't overwhelm their abilities to cope. They are able to live um, what we would consider a normal life. They're able to do the things um, that that they need to do without it just being without being stuck in where the past, like I said, is the present, right? It's like they're, they're living in the past, in the present, because it just overwhelms their, their, their body. I think that is so helpful because, again, we talk a, a little bit about shame. Here's something that can happen when we say something like that. I think there can be people who feel a bit stuck. Yeah. And they're saying, I sh- it, what could happen if you hear that and you're experiencing trauma is that voice that says, I should be there. Yes. That's not what what Greg or I or Elizabeth would try to do, what we're saying is there is hope. And that's a super important thing. I think about the stories we just told, Job and Joseph. And I think about Joseph. What happens is somehow God is able to take the ugly parts of our story and in the the, uh, tapestry that he's creating, he can make that beautiful. He redeems it. it. And so you have a person like Joseph who's gone through all this trauma, and at the end, he's able to welcome his brothers in, even hug them, and offer them sanctuary in Egypt. That is incredible, and that is a hopeful story. Job is able to have a family. I mean, he's literally sitting in sackcloth and ashes at a gate and just given up in some ways. And at the end, without really ever getting a good explanation of why anything happens. exactly. He's able to have another family, go back to work, live a fruitful life, et cetera. And I, you know, we don't know at all, but I like to use my imagination and think that he's probably able to enjoy and love his family in new and different ways and experience the gifts of God in new and different ways as his paradigms and schemas have been blown up. So I I think what we're trying to say is there is hope. There is absolutely hope for those who have gone through extremely traumatic events. Absolutely. Um, And God gives us examples of that. Yeah. Absolutely, right. yeah, and and in Job's case, he even has, although he had a very deep and very personal relationship with the Lord before. Sure, you know, you've got to believe he has a completely different right. relationship with the Lord now. Um, not, I'm not going to use the word better, right? Uh, but I am going to say probably deeper and definitely uh, different experience right. of God than before. And I think that's the hope, right? Is that you? Right. It will be. You will have a. On the other side of trauma, there is hope that you can have greater depth, um, that you things will not go back to the way that they were, but that you can experience redemption and restoration and a beautiful, beautiful uh, life post-traumatic. Yeah. 
It, it's it's because as you guys are talking, um, you know, I think even just on the the conversation just about suffering period mm. is that oftentimes we can just feel like we're just so alone, right? And that nobody's here helping me, and that our Christian faith grounds us in the truth that God's always working. Yeah, mm. He's always present, and that He is powerful enough to take what we don't know what to do with and bring beauty out of it in ways yeah. we don't understand. Like it's something different. Um, it's not, like you said, Greg, not what it was before, but there can be something beautiful that comes later. Yeah. And we trust in that just because we trust in Jesus. And Amen. so I don't want to say that to say, hey, man, you just need to read these verses and <laughs> right. believe sure. they're true. Because sometimes you just don't feel like they're true, but they are. Mm. And so let us be encouragement to those who are listening that God is working now um, and that he is moving you towards a place of beauty, uh, even if that road is a longer one, yeah. that there's always hope. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Greg, when we think about how we as uh, Christians can help our friends or the folks in our church um, who are walking through some of these issues, uh, a two-part question. One, what are some things that maybe we do that are unhelpful? Mm-hmm. And then what should we do yeah. to be helpful to our brothers and sisters? Yeah, that's great. Well, I think one of the things, that, the first thing that comes to mind in terms of what we do that's unhelpful is what Job's friends did. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and actually, we can use Job's friends as illustrative of both, right? So what I'm not talking about what they did at first. I'm talking about what they did later, right? When they started talking, right, um, they, they stopped listening, mm-hmm. right? And they started offering all kinds of conjecture about why this happened, right? That They're talking about what stuff they don't know anything about, right? <laughs> um, and, and I think that happens a lot of times. It's like, you know, when you're trying to help, you want to help, you feel like there's something you need to say. Right, and since not everyone really fully understands the experience of trauma, that you might be saying things that aren't true. You might be talking about things that you don't know anything about, really. Right? Um, you might be saying, "Man, things can get back to just the, like the way that they were before." Right? Which we've just said here is not true and probably not going to happen. So, obviously, I would I would measure my words. I would use my words carefully. I think one of the things that we do sometimes is we offer platitudes. So again, we all love Jesus here, and we all love his, God's word, right? Um, but you know, I think you can too quickly move to Philippians four, Matthew six, texts that talk about not being anxious, right? Without sitting in texts, like if you want to have a biblical approach, I know I'm kind of mixing your two questions mm-hmm. here, but uh, if you want to have a biblical approach, which obviously I think is great and I'm in favor of, you know, talk about Joseph. Talk about Job. Talk about Ruth. Talk about those situations and how people responded. Sit in those with someone, you know, and say, you know, I mean, what would it? What is this? What's this experience like for you? So now I'm getting into your question about, you know, what can we do well? Is that all right if I go there? Oh yeah. Um, You know, what we can do well is we can sit in the experience like Job's friends did for a while. We can sit and be silent. It's okay to just be silent and not say anything. Mm -hmm. I think that that's something people need to hear and think about. Um, And when you do start to verbalize things, I think it's great to ask questions, right? So instead of offering statements, how about we ask questions about the experience? Mm. You know, Adam, tell me what this experience has been like for you. Mm. Talk to me about what you're feeling right now. Talk to me about where you're going. Um, You know, those kinds of things I think can be so helpful. So to, to probe gently, graciously, listen well, um, and then, and then I think offer help, right? So we can get into talking about specific helps if you want to, 
but um but but yeah i mean uh, so you want me to go there you want me to go into yeah, some specific yeah, that'd helps be great. so um one is i mentioned emdr so if you want to learn more about that or help somebody with that there is the emdr international association so it's called emdria emdria um i think it's dot org or dot com um but uh, you can find that we'll put in the show notes is that fair yep that's great um and so Emdria uh, is the international organization. There, you can find local therapists that do MDR. You can also find a lot more about the technique and how you know how it helps. Um, and so, I would recommend that um, books. So, there is a great book that was a New York Times bestseller called "The Body Keeps the Score" mm. by Ves- Bessel van der Kolk. And I'll spell that. I think it's B E S S E L. Last name Van, V-A-N, separate word Der, D-E-R, separate word Kolk, K-O-L-K, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, mouthful. Yeah. But man, um, he is talking in that book about, he is flushing out a lot of the stuff that we only got to like fly over, you know, mm-hmm. superficially here, but how trauma is stored in the body. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's that's his thesis. So great book. On a Christian level, um, Diane Langberg is probably the best Christian writer, I think, these days writing about trauma. She has a great book called Suffering in the Heart of God, mm. um, which is great. She has, I mean, you could just go to her website. There's just a ton of resources uh, on, I think it, it might be dianelangberg.com. Again, we can put that out there for, for, the, for the folks. Um, there's a great book called um, Trauma and Recovery by Judith Herman. Uh, that's kind of the classic book that sort of talks through it she does a really good job of talking through sort of the phases of trauma recovery um and really quickly i'll kind of recap that here because i think it might be helpful um these that book was written a long time ago but it's still used by clinicians today as like this is the approach first is safety and stability so that's the first phase often people don't even go past that phase because it feels so good to be safe and stable right mm-hmm. um, but then if you really want to work through the trauma you've got to go into some therapy like emdr that we were talking about that's actually going to dive deep into that. It's actually going to trigger you, but in safe ways, right? Um, And so you have to go through and explore those trauma triggers and work through those uh, in a way that's safe and helpful. And then the last stage is like, is that place that we were talked about where you you come out as that um, beautiful new um, person, right? Not the same, um, but, you know, it's more of kind of a maintenance phase, if you will. Um, And so, so that's, that's Judith Herman, Trauma and Recovery. So those would be my top off the off the cuff. No, that's awesome. Thank you, Greg, for those resources and really just for your wisdom in this mm. whole conversation. Because um, even as we walk through this conversation about mental health, it's just re... Um, it's us remembering that we live in a broken world mm. and that brokenness affects us. And when yeah. it comes specifically to trauma and the stuff you talked about today, Greg, that sometimes that suffering overwhelms us where we're not able to cope well, where the past is constantly intruding the present and the moments in which we realize, hey, I need help. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and both that help comes from our community. It can come from professional help um, that we are gentle with ourselves yeah. and this idea that, man, I should just be over this. Yeah. And what you've gone through is significant. God cares enough to have given people who have the tools and information expertise to help us, but that we understand that there is always hope and that there's a yeah. pathway to something Amen. new, uh, something beautiful, and God is active and present in taking us there. And so thank you, Greg. Those resources that Greg mentioned will be in the show notes, but we appreciate the way that you've loved on our folks today. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram. Thanks and God bless. Thank you.